This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. First Equalizer podcast for the new year, 2020, episode 90 overall. My name is Dan Lawletta. I'll be with Chelsea Bush for the next three segments. Happy New Year to everyone in the women's soccer world and to all the Equalizer subscribers. NWSL draft is less than two weeks away. Before that, the camp that will determine the final roster for U.S. Olympic qualifying will begin in Tampa and we are here for 2020. Chelsea, Happy New Year. How are you? How was your vacation or your little uh, holiday sojourn there? <laughs> happy New Year, Dan. Um, it was good. It's nice to have a little bit of a, of a break from the soccer world, um, although it was a little bit quieter than I, I had anticipated. Um, but, hey, everyone deserves vacation, I guess. Well, I feel like we end every week saying, well, by next week we'll have news. By next week we'll have trades. Before we get into the meat of the podcast, we did exit – uh, last year and said that there would likely be some bonus content coming uh, during the break. And we actually recorded some bonus content. We had a decade review podcast. It was myself, Jeff Kasouf. We bought it. We brought in Jacqueline Purdy, who's been covering women's soccer for a very long time. We thought that was with the three most uh, myself was the third one. We thought we were like the three big authorities on the decade of the 20 teens, and uh, we recorded this fantastic podcast. But one thing we were not an authority on was getting the recording right, some technical glitches. So unfortunately, we were unable to uh, put that forth. We were unable to find a time to re-record it. So there was no podcast for the review of the decade. So we apologize for that. We do hope maybe to get Jacqueline involved on the podcast in some way, shape, or form in 2020. But in news that uh, we broke at the Equalizer that hasn't yet been made official, uh, Laura Harvey has stepped down as head coach of Utah Royals FC to take a job with U.S. Soccer, believed to be the head coaching job with the U-20 national team. And it's interesting because two years ago when she left Seattle, that was supposedly for a U.S. Soccer job that didn't materialize. And then earlier this offseason, she was a finalist for the head coaching job, but the senior team didn't get it. We know her and Vlatko Andonovsky have been friendly for a long time. Obviously, Andonovsky would be instrumental in giving her the U-20 job, but what were your initial thoughts when you heard this? Honestly, I was surprised. I, I think, to me, I thought there were indications that she was, was pretty locked into the Utah project. I think they, they've made improvements every year. She was one of the few coaches to make a trade this offseason, even if it was just to give away a player for a draft pick. Um, yeah, I, I was surprised, but I, I think, and you know, you kind of reminded me that she has been passed over for some international jobs. I remember her name floating around um, for the England job as well. And so maybe I'm wondering if she thinks she needs to, to beef up her international resume a little bit more beyond the club scene 
to and get her foot really firmly in that door, at least with U.S. soccer, if she wants to continue her career um, outside of, of a club. I was less surprised because I believe that her coaching career is at something of a crossroads now, four years in a row outside the playoffs, all decent seasons. She's never, you know, other than that 2013 year with the rain when she didn't quite get the roster right and they had injuries with their allocated players and stuff, you know, she's never had a horrible team, but I feel like her teams have fallen short of where they could have been, where they should have been maybe. There was a point last year where the Royals should have been that fourth playoff team and they couldn't close the deal and they couldn't beat a very undermanned rain team at the end of that season, coached by who else? Flacco Andonovsky. But you're right in terms of her obvious desire to get into the international game. And it's interesting as we evolve a little bit now in the women's game as to what will be the top jobs that coaches want. I feel like in the men's game, it can go either way. Some coaches are just more cut out for the international game. Some are more cut out for the club game. But the prestige of both is about the same, whereas in the women's game, there are really very few club jobs that matter. It's really about the international game. I think that's slowly starting to change, but clearly Laura Harvey wants to get her, uh, you know, dip her toe in the international game. And this will be a little bit more than that because you 20s have qualifying in a World Cup coming up this year. Yeah, and I said this to you um, off the podcast when, when the news was first breaking, that I thought that it's getting her out of her comfort zone. You know, the thing about Laura Harvey is I would never really have called her a great maybe development coach. I think she's very good about finding and acquiring talent and inspires tremendous loyalty in her players. Um, but I don't know that I would say she's someone who can take a very young player and develop them into to a real, uh, really great senior player. And that's obviously something that's key at the U-20 role. Um, these are going to be you know mostly teenagers and, and college and younger, and she's kind of – taking them to a new level. So I think it will be good for her as a coach and a good challenge for her. Um, and it's kind of ironic as someone who never really did a whole lot with her draft picks that she's going to be coaching what are going to end up being the top draft picks likely in the coming years. Yeah, that is interesting. She's only got one top five pick ever, which was a um, player who's now on Orlando, whose name I always forget, Carson Pickett. Um and other than that, she's traded most of them. And even with the talk, well, the Royals coach is coming in and it's the draft coming up, true, but they don't have a pick right now until number 22 because, again, they've traded a bunch of them away, a lot of them in the Kristen Press deal. So that is interesting. But she also, if you look at players like Kristen McNabb was drafted in the fourth round. I thought Michelle Maimon last year early in the season was pretty decent. She was maybe a third-round pick. Haley Kopmeyer was among the last picks in the draft in 2013, and she's still in the league. I feel like Harvey's done better than she gets credit for with players down draft. She just hasn't been great when you talk about the first couple, you know, the first round or two. I mean, the Amanda Frisbee pick didn't work out great. Um, there have been a few others along the way. Yeah, you know, that's a fair point, Dan. Um, maybe I'm, I'm not giving her as much credit. Maybe I'm taking the fact that she doesn't seem to put much worth or see much value in the draft. And kind of running with that a little bit too far than I should. Yeah. I do also, real quick, want to point out too that this is the NWSL losing one of its few, one of its only two right now, I guess, female coaches yeah. again. Although <laughs> different scenario though than like Denise Reddy 
bad record, got fired. Vera Paw, who had a decent record and then was kind of let go. Players didn't seem to like her. Even Cindy Parlo Cohn won a championship, didn't seem like a great fit, and left. I feel like this is more of a coach leaving to maybe take a step forward, or at least as something that she wanted to do, take a step forward. Like, I don't feel like, you know, we'll see who they replace her with, but I don't feel like this is like a blow necessarily to the female coaching um, regime. No, no, it's just more about, to me, the, the optics of the NWSL and kind of who they replace her with. And, you know, as always, is the question is, are female coaches being given the same opportunities female right. coaches are and then this is is one where it'll be interesting to see the qualifications and and the candidates they bring up not only there but also uh at the rain yeah the rain are kind of no one seems to kind of realize that the rain need a head coach because they've had so much else going on with that team with the sale and everything else and that became official recently as well the you know the um the leon group has, has taken over there but you know i feel like harvey though got a little bit of rope in her coaching career, because again, four years in a row without being in the playoffs. And one of her fellow coaches, I, I think it was Rory Dame said on Twitter that she set the standard for the league with the 2014 rain. And that team kind of, you know, teams had to chase the 2014 rain, even though they didn't win the title, they were clearly the best team, but there was also a feeling that Harvey didn't evolve with the way the league evolved in catching up to the rain. And that's kind of why she got left behind a little bit as a mid-pack coach here the last four seasons. Yeah, I would agree with that. So that's, again, why I go back to I think it's interesting that, you know, we talk a lot about players need to go in their comfort zone. You know, I, I kept bringing it up when Sam Kerr went to England. I think it's just important for coaches to, to challenge themselves. And this is an entirely new environment, an entirely new a new game. Um, it's just I think it will be really interesting to see what she does. And, and there's, there's pressure there too, right, because the U-20s have not been that good. I don't think we've won since – 2012. Um, yeah, the Julie Johnson team. Yeah, so it, it's, you know, the, the U.S. is the one who, who won the initial back then. It was the U19s, but it was the initial, you know, at that age level World Cup and then had several you know, runs of success and then it just really hasn't been able to, to replicate that much of the last decade. And then that, you know, applies to the U17s and other age groups as well. And um, so I think the, the pressure's on for her. But, but the- also – Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, does that make it more pressure or less pressure? Because you got Vlaco comes in, they've won two straight World Cups. I feel like that's the ultimate pressure. Harvey goes to the U20s. Yeah, they haven't won in a while, but it, you know, maybe that makes less pressure, or does it matter if they whether they win or not, as long as they keep producing players and the and the senior team keeps winning. I think that's that's the the debate. People seem to be split on. They say, well, we're still, you know. As much as we've kind of not been great at the the youth leagues, we're I mean we're still qualifying pretty regularly for those youth World Cups. They're still they're still competing. It just we're the U.S. and we expect to win, right? Um, but we're also still producing at the senior level. So I I don't know. I would still like to see some success at at the youth level. I think that's where I fall on that debate. I, I do think eventually that um, that that is going to filter into the senior level. Um, nobody has more, more pressure than Black Co right now, for sure. Uh, winning three World Cups in a row is unheard of, um, and he's most likely going to be navigating what I would I would consider sort of a generational shift on the senior team. Um, Nobody's shifting yet, though. Well, no, no, but but you know, I feel like we're kind of on the the cusp of one. Um, we're there, just, but but we all thought there would be at least one or two retirements by now. 
and nobody's budging. I, you thought they were going to be. I really have never understood why someone would, like Lauren Holiday, for instance, would retire in between the year between a World Cup and an Olympics. I think it'd come after the Olympics, whatever there is. True. But, I mean, Holiday had a gold medal. The others, I guess, don't. Well, like, there's le- less players on this team have gold medals. Right. Than, than back then. Right. But but you, you see what I'm saying, though, is that you have a, a group of players that's been around since the days of Pia who, who are all getting kind of to the edge of their, their career. Well, I think that's what it is. I think some players would rather, rather than have the coach say, you know, sorry, thanks for your time, you know, we'll see you in the Hall of Fame, they would rather be the ones to make the announcement that they're stepping away. Well, it's kind of like, like Heather O'Reilly. You know, I think the writing was clearly on the wall for her once Jill Ellis came around and she really never played much. But she still kind of tried to give it a go for 2016, um, even though at that point she had all the medals, basically. She did. It's not an easy life either. And I, I mean, I'm not, I mean, I know plenty of players would, would trade anything for it, but it's a grueling year, I think. You need to figure that they're already going into camp in a couple of days. And then they've got to compete to get on the qualifying roster. And then they've got to qualify. And then into She Believes. And then into the league. And then there'll probably be some friendlies. And then they'll be in Japan for X number of months. And then back to the league. And then there'll be fall commitments. Again, glamorous life. Most soccer players would say, Are you crazy? I would trade everything in for that in a second. But if you've done it year after year after year, I can see where maybe, all right, we just won the World Cup maybe two in a row. Yeah, maybe I want to just play for my club or maybe not play at all. So I don't think it's totally crazy to retire after the World Cup. Yeah, maybe. I think that's a little bit of first world problems there. Uh, most soccer players, as you said, would, would trade their lives for, for that one. But there there is merit to that, and I think we've seen that in how many players are, are very obviously fatigued by the time November comes around. The wear and tear injuries that the players at that level get as opposed to ones that just play for their club. Speaking of fatigue, have you ever heard a worse idea than a Women's World Cup every two years? Um, not recently, no. That that pretty much takes the cake um, for worst idea of maybe the, the last decade. I feel like that idea just personifies all that is wrong with people's visions of women's soccer. Because it was like, well, look at how great the Women's World Cup does for the game globally. Let's do it every two years. Well, you can do it every two months, but you have to build the other elements of the game or it won't matter. And part of the beauty of the World Cup is it happens every four years. Yeah, I think it, it diminishes it in value. I think it completely ignores the Euros, which should be a, a huge event. Um, right, and it is, in fairness, over there. Over there, yeah, but I, th- I think that that's something, I mean, the men's Euros is a huge thing. And I yes. think that, that we don't give enough attention to the women's. I agree. And then you, you have, you that completely ignores the domestic leagues, um, ignores Champions League. You're ignoring the possibility of a Club World Cup or... Like there's so much else that they could be doing that they they don't. They just see it. I'm sure there are dollar signs somewhere. I mean, how is it? How are the men any different, right? The men's World Cup generates interest worldwide. Why wouldn't you have the men's World Cup every two years under that premise? Other yeah. than you have all those things you just mentioned as existing. You have all those cash things cows behind it. it. That's what I was gonna say. You have all those things, but the money is there. Uh, they they don't put enough emphasis on promoting and broadcasting and building these other events into proper events. And that just, I mean, that's not just FIFA. I mean, look at, we, we've talked and talked and talked about how 
the NWSL final was not the event that it should be. It goes down to, to each domestic level. Um, you know, why don't we have any sort of, of a, you know, like a CONCACAF Women's Champions League. You've got the League in Mexico that's doing very well. They've been, you know, they had the friendly with Houston. They could build that into something. There there are things, you know, the um, Asian Federation is slowly starting their sort of version of, of a club Champions League. Um, yeah, the, the men would never stand for it. <laughs> Nobody in their right mind would think that would be a good idea. They have other things that they want to do. I think that that's just so short-sighted on the side of FIFA and thinking that the World Cup is the only thing that matters in the women's game, and there's there's so much else to do. And yeah, it just it's, very much. It's freaking ridiculous. They got these billions of dollars they're supposedly investing, but I, I'm I'm always curious where those billion dollars go because they're not going toward um, making sure good qualifiers or. There's some pockets somewhere that are pretty flush. Yes, not mine, unfortunately. No. Um, all right, uh, let's take a quick break. We've got a qualifying roster, or at least the camp roster, that will, from which the qualifying roster will come. There was a minor NWSL trade, and we finally have an answer about how many NWSL teams there will be in 2020. This is Episode 90 of the Equalizer Podcast. Episode 90, Segment 2, Equalizer Podcast, first one of 2020. Happy New Year to everyone, and a reminder to everyone to please rate and review the Equalizer Podcast today and to check us out at EqualizerSoccer.com. And for a subscription to Equalizer Extra, it's EqualizerSoccer.com slash subscribe. Be the first to know lots of the latest breaking news around women's soccer plus top quality Analysis from people like Chelsea and myself and the rest of our staff at the Equalizer. And the more reviews and the better reviews and ratings you give the podcast, the more great content that we can bring your way. Chelsea, we've got uh, Olympic qualifying coming up in a couple of weeks. We've got the roster of 28. My first thought when I saw the roster, by the way, it's 28. It's everybody who was on the World Cup team, minus Alex Morgan. That includes Tierna Davidson, who got hurt the week of the NWSL championship and is working her way back. Six new players, including Sophia Smith, who came out of the December identification camp and has been in camp before but is uncapped. My first reaction was, this is kind of boring. This is like a Jill Ellis roster. My second reaction was, this is the actual qualifying roster. There'll be 20 for qualifying. You've got to get down to 18. Nobody's retired. There's not a lot you can do flexibility-wise unless you're willing to blow it up and I don't think Vlatko's ready to blow it up yet. No, I, I don't think there were going to be any, any much major turnover between, you know, in this first year of his tenure. He's he's already got a tremor roster, maybe one or two surprise inclusions. Um, but I, I don't see I – would, I would be shocked if anyone going to the Olympics wasn't at the World Cup in, last year. Let me put it that even, way. Even Casey Short? I would be the least shocked if it was Casey Short. I think Short and Sullivan have a have a chance. I think Short is probably part of the Olympic roster. I yeah, think. I, I think more than Sullivan. I think Sullivan's probably the, the next one up. Um, but th- but the others, um, Jane Campbell, Sophia Smith, um, Mitch Purse, and Lynn Williams. I, I don't see them going to the Olympics. Yeah, I don't. I don't know a lot about Sophia Smith. I don't watch a lot of college. I know she was 
She's very good and has been a star at every youth level. But I don't see Jane Campbell. I don't see Lynn Williams necessarily as great international players. Jury's out, I think, on Sullivan. I think Short has it in her. I think Short could have been on the World Cup team, and they still would have won the World Cup. Well, for sure. And I think but the question marks here, I mean, O'Hara's a big question mark because O'Hara seems to somehow, I think you mentioned this in your all-decade team, that she somehow manages to always be right for the big tournaments, but eventually that luck has to run out. And I think she cut it as close this year as she ever has. And that's not including the, the you know, one off the concussion that she ended up getting in the final. Absolutely. Um, and you could see it because basically she fell apart as soon as she came home. Yeah. So. Um, and she's really valuable because she can play all over the field. That's really important when you have 18. Yeah, I, I tend to think versatility is overrated, except when it comes to the Olympics, because yeah. you it is a very condensed tournament. You're playing a lot of games in a very short period of time. Players get tired easier than they do in the World Cup. And again, you, you only have 18 players that you've got to be able to play multiple positions. Um, I think for me, the biggest question mark here, I was kind of surprised to see Mitch Purse. I don't, I like her a lot as a player. I don't necessarily rate her that high as, as a defender. Um, but she came, seems to be, keep, be included in that list. Yeah, I think she's a good quality league player, but I feel like she always wants to be on her right foot almost to a fault, which makes it a lot easier to defend her, even if she's on one of her famous overlapping runs. Um, but, I mean, I'm all in favor of giving her the chance, but I don't see her as a player that I think fits on the A-team. Maybe she'll prove me wrong. I think there's a lot of potential still to be tapped into there, um, but I like that the Thorns play her higher up the pitch, and I kind of see that's where her, her future lies, unless she has, in the interim, improved her, her 1v1 defending tremendously. Right now, of course, when you look at this roster, even without Alex Morgan, it is a lot easier to break through as an outside back than as a forward. I mean, this list of forwards is still fairly stacked. I mean, he's oh, for Pacino, sure. Lloyd, Press, uh, you know, you know, I'm not a huge Lynn Williams fan on the on the international stage. You do look at she's got 21 caps, six goals, which is pretty good, but she's never really been there when it has mattered a lot. And you know, maybe if she can just figure out how to finish it would be different, and somebody's got to be in the middle where Morgan is not going to be, at least through whenever Morgan makes her way back. We'll see if that's for the Olympics or not. I mean, we all think right now it's Carly Lloyd, but I don't know that that's written in stone either. And my question still remains about Carly Lloyd. Can she play every single game in, in, a, in a tournament, play significant minutes every single game? Maybe she gets rested one group stage game. Talking That's about the, the main tournament. Yeah, that yes. is, it's not an easy tournament and can press play centrally at the international level and make I, an impact. Yeah, I think the thing press is certainly capable of it. She's more than capable of it. She she could have done that at any point in time over the last ten years. Um it's it's will she uh what sword I'm looking for? Will she rise to the occasion? You know, will will she be that, that clutch player? I think the question mark is still out there on that, and that's kind of past time for it to be answered, and maybe that's the answer we've got. I mean, look, the semifinal goal she scored against England, you couldn't ask for more than that, stepping into Rapino's spot. And then 
she was really good That's coming fair. out of that for Utah. But you know what? When Utah went south was kind of when she went south a little bit with her form. Well, and to, to I you, you mentioned Rapino. How long can she consistently produce at that level, too? I think she showed signs of being very tired in the World Cup. Um, I she thought she was exhausted by the final. Too, pretty much, yeah, I think. I, so, again, tight tournament. You're one year on, still in the middle of your club season. She's another one that's gotten got question marks about can she stay healthy consistently? Um, and honestly, if it comes down to replacing, for press to replace Morgan Rapino, if that's the question, I would rather have her out wide, which is a crazy thing to say because I would have, I did not like her wide until about two or three years ago. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I also think if you look at like Rapino and Lloyd, there are certain players that can get away with doing less. Uh, that, that kind of maybe sounds bad, but I feel like Rapino can make a big impact on a game just in a moment and maybe doesn't always have to be tracking back 100% offensively or making every single run 100%, where I feel like whoever's in the middle needs to be more engaged more often. Is that fair? I, know, I mean, I don't know if I agree with that. I think that Carly Lloyd has made her name on, on coming up big when she needs to and not necessarily. Oh, no, absolutely, but I'm saying that in the role that she plays, you've got to work harder longer to do that. In other Maybe, words, Rapino also... can come up with a dead ball or just send in one cross and change the whole game. I don't know. Maybe I, I still think that, that Lloyd could probably get away with doing – I mean, you're not going to ask your number nine to do a ton of defensive work. She's not going to be tracking back. When everyone else is, she's like the most likely to be higher up the pitch, waiting to be sprung on a counterattack. Um, I, I think she can. I think she can change a game in one moment just as easily. All right, here's another question: What what, what does Vlaco look to get out of qualifying? Because I know the, him and the team will give you the runaround about how well we still have to get there. Blah 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 blah. They're going to qualify. So how do you handle playing teams that you're going to dominate? I think that's when you throw minutes to some of these players that you're still unsure of. I mean, you look at the last qualifying roster. You had Jalen Hinkle. You had Stephanie McCaffrey. Um, there were some – that's really when I think that, that kind of next group of, of young younger core players kind of got introduced. You know what Becky Sauerbrunn can do against basically anybody. You, you know – what a listener can do. That's where if, if you have any questions about who your second goalkeeper is, or even your third, your alternate, throw them in there. Like, I think that that's what you have to do. Otherwise it's just, you look at qualifying for the world cup. What do we learn from that? That is boring. Yeah. Um, Well, it's boring when it's the U S the other teams were quite interesting. Um, Well, yeah, but but you, yeah, when you're a good team, it's, it's yeah. Really, only Asia is the only confederation I can think of where you can actually get excluded if you're a good team. Well, Europe, UEFA's chock full of good teams to get excluded. But the top teams are never going to not make it. Well, unless they don't do well enough in the World Cup, like France and Germany. Oh, for the Olympics, yeah, for the Olympics, <laughs> yeah. To be yeah, fair, I, I still can't wrap my head around that when I'm thinking about the Olympics that those two teams won't be there. Yes, correct. But we will have a team, Great Britain. That's what yes, we will, and I don't. But you know what? I, you know, I kind of have mixed feelings about that because it was pretty cool when they did it in 2012 when the Olympics were in London. But I don't know. Like, is it does it 
is it worth it for the development of the program to have basically like an England team plus Jess Fishlock and whoever else they Kim Little. Probably, yeah, Kim Little, whoever else they probably bring. I mean, it's nice to see it and all that, but does that is that the best way for England to get ready for the 21 Euros, which they keep talking about as their big goal? I don't know. This. I mean, it's it's again, it's another that team is like you said, it's going to be mostly England. Um, I, maybe you know three, four other players. So these you've got your your core England players getting another chance to play against top international teams and a lot of pressure. I, I don't see the harm in it. I mean, what what's the other what's the alternative? They qualified for it. Yeah, no, there so is no the alternative. Team, I mean, I mean it, it's the alternative is to get FIFA and the Olympics on the same page in terms of whether well, they're Great Britain or whether they operate as independent nations. Yes, I th- I think that's the ultimate answer. But no, I I, I like it. I mean, it'll be cool. I just don't know if I'm if I'm Phil Neville and I'm trying to get England ready for the Euros. I don't know if having Jess Fishlock and Kim Little. You know, just knock two of my midfielders out for a big tournament is, a, well, and is, is the way is he to go. Be the, yeah, but is he also is he going to be the coach for Team GB? Uh, I mean, he should be if it's mostly should England he? players, I would think. Or should it be know. should it be someone? I don't know. I'm not big on him as a coach, to be quite Who honest. I haven't been impressed. So Who coached um, in 2012? I think it was Hope Powell, wasn't it? I I don't, I don't know. But, she, I mean, she was the England coach at that I time. I guess because technically England's the one who earned the qualification, it would kind of be fair. I just, personally, like I said, I'm not a huge fan of him. I haven't been impressed with him as a coach. I'd like to see what some of those players could do under under somebody else. But That'd I guess that, that he would be the more logical choice. And what if they win gold and it's the Fishlock and Little show? Then that makes it really awkward going into the Euros. Well, that's the – I think they'll take that gold medal. <laughs> Yeah, and you know what? That's also uh, they will take the gold medal. That way, that also is going to be a, a reuniting of those two midfielders because that was quite a midfield they had there. Oh, I cannot wait to see it. Speaking of Laura Harvey, by the way, hopefully Fishlock is. I mean, Fishlock should be ready, but hopefully she's ready and in you know pretty close to a hundred percent. Ready enough, yeah. Because I mean. Yeah, if Rapino can make it from December, even though she probably shouldn't have been there, I think Fishlock can make it from June. But oh, I think she, I think she'll be fine as long as she doesn't have any setbacks. But yeah, I, I'm excited to see that team. I mean, again, you take England's best, you throw in just Fishlock and Kim Little, who are world class, uh, probably like Carolyn Ware. I think it could be a great team. Well, we need some great teams because I don't, you know, again, Germany and France are not there, and it's kind of like the World Cup. What, don't what's sleep the- on the Netherlands. All right, the Netherlands is is up there, but what teams other than maybe them and the U.S. are not like in in a weird transitional period? I know Brazil's undefeated under Pia, and I'm looking forward to seeing them because I yeah. still don't get how that team and her coaching style mesh. Maybe she actually adapted a little bit. I'm really fascinated to watch them. Well, I always think she's going to bring discipline to a team that really ever never has had any. Yeah. I think that those two they're their flair, their individual flair, their their pure talent and skill, I think could go very well, could very much complement the, the discipline that I think in an organization that Pia could bring. I'm very excited to see them. Um, yeah, I mean, it's what's well, probably going to be Canada with the U.S. I, I'm not excited to watch Canada. Um, Australia, maybe. That, and that's, I mean, out of China, Japan, or Japan automatically qualifies. So I guess it probably will be uh, – 
China. And, I don't. Japan has been kind of preparing for this. They they almost to the extent I think they were more preparing more for the Olympics than they were for the World Cup. I think they'll be good. I don't. I think I think they'll be very good. Not great. I think they'll be good. And back I, to Brazil. This is what okay. Marta's like eighth last international tournament, right? That we every time we go to one, this is it for Marta. Last last chance. Probably yeah. She kind of some of the things she said after the World Cup, I think, hinted at that. So, were you going to say something else? I was just going to say I think Japan could could uh, be a little bit of an underdog. I think they could surprise some people. Well, they play they, very pretty soccer. And they don't get away from their game plan. Like, they are probably as um, true to what they are as any team in the world. So if yeah, they're but, good enough and the game plan and the tactics are right, they'll be very dangerous. Yeah, but, like, yeah, China, I, I wasn't impressed with them at the World Cup. Australia con- continues to underwhelm. Um, I've, I've just stopped picking them as my dark horse. They've let me down several times, so. And Sweden is usually, like, kind of there, but not good enough, but they Maybe. usually give somebody a problem. They got a medal the U.S. didn't last time. That is correct. That is correct. All right, uh, let's do one more segment. We'll come back, a couple of questions and comments, and we'll wrap up things as we close in on the 2020 NWSL Draft. This is Episode 90 of the Equalizer Podcast. Hey everyone, Jeff Kasouf here with some exciting news about the 2020 United Soccer Coaches Convention in Baltimore. The Equalizer will once again be there on Podcast Row, bringing you exclusive podcast interviews with some of the best minds in the game. Registration is now open for the convention, and you can make your plans to join us in Baltimore from January 15th to the 19th for networking, coaching education, and licensing. And of course, there's the annual NWSL Draft, which you can come watch as a fan. We're at the convention every year, and honestly, it's the one week on the calendar annually where everyone who's anyone in U.S. soccer is truly in the same place at the same time. Register before December 11th for the best rates by going to unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org and stop by Podcast Row to chat with your hosts from The Equalizer. That's unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org for more information. We'll see you in Baltimore. Third and final segment, first Equalizer podcast of the new year, episode 90 overall, and it's time for the Equalizer Soccer Sports Reference Stat of the Week. And it is brought to you by our friends at Sports Reference. Check out their new and always improving catalog of women's sports statistics at fbref.com. That's fbref.com. And as we close in on the draft with the Orlando Pride sitting on the number one overall pick, Let's note that the Orlando Pride have only once before drafted in the top 10. That was 2016 when they also had the number one overall pick, traded it and a bunch of other stuff to land Alex Morgan. The Thorns used that pick on Emily Sonnet. Orlando got their pick from the rain via the Thorns as part of that trade, and they drafted Sam Wideman with the number 10 pick overall from UC Berkeley. Sam Wideman, the only top 10 pick in the four-year history of the Orlando Pride. We'll see if they hold on to their number one pick in 2020. Right now, they control that number one pick, but a long time to go. That is your Equalizer Soccer Sports Reference Stat of the Week, brought to you by our friends at Sports Reference. Check them out at fbref.com. And we also got um, a note 
uh, from a listener, Jen, this week, who decided um, that due to Chelsea, my good friend over here, that her complaints about midweek games, that she would go and do a uh, some research on it. And what did she do? She went to fbref.com to do that research and found out that more goals are scored on the weekends than during the week. As we've got, uh, let's see, 2.89 goals on Sunday games, 2.63 on Saturday games, 2.58 on Wednesday. And ironically, Friday was the day with the least number of goals. I do remember, there's not a lot of Friday games. I know there was a 0-0 Friday draw this year, but only 2.00 goals on Friday. So thanks to Jen and thanks for uh, checking out our sponsor, fbref.com. Chelsea, unfortunately, we learned over the break that we're going to have a lot of midweek games again, though, because Sacramento won't be joining the league. Uh, the league officially announcing that they will stick with nine for 2020. And everyone came out and said, oh, this is great. You know, they shouldn't have done it, you know, at this time. Of course they shouldn't have done it in December. But this deal was literally down to the signature. They had draft mechanisms in place. Teams had submitted expansion draft protected lists. There were trades that were going to go down as a result of this. Why did Sacramento pull out? This is not a good look at all. First, um, <laughs> I want to go back to – I want to throw in some additional trivia because I do believe the Sam Winneman is now playing for the U.S. Beach Soccer Women's National Team, Ooh, which a, is very cool. might be better than her being the only top ten yeah. pick ever for Orlando. I was going to try and interrupt, but it, it felt rude and just kept talking, so <laughs> – Anyway, that said, um, it is a, it is a terrible look um, to come down to that. It's one thing if if the team had just said, "Hey, you know what? I don't think we're ready for this. We needed an additional year." Cool, cool. Uh, this is not that case. I think it's a terrible. I would love to know what happened exactly, um, but I can't imagine the fault lies anywhere than with the league. To be quite honest, just based on. Why would a team get that close and then back out if it wasn't for something that scared them away? And I just think it's a it's a it's a crap look. And are they out or are they delayed? And I don't I, think we know the answer to that. We don't uh, technically. We don't officially know the answer. That's true. I, also, I kind of thought they were just going to delay, but if they're out for good, that's even worse. That is. Um, now, that said, you don't want people in the league that don't want to be in the league, but they wanted it enough that it got close. And, look, we at Equalizer reported a while back that Sacramento was on the verge of signing the deal. Uh, I was in the, I was front and center on that reporting. I stand by that reporting. It was as close as we made it seem, and it didn't happen. And uh, we're trying to track down the whys and whatnot, but um, I don't like nine. I don't think you should have ten just for the sake of having ten. But I don't like nine. It looks like Louisville announced. But what have they done since that announcement? Like it's kind of like the, having the final at a at a neutral venue. You know, I believe you do they're it. selling. Yeah, I do believe they're selling season tickets Are already. They? I think on their Twitter account they had mentioned that. So okay. um, I know their USL team like rebranded and the fans revolted and they like rolled back <laughs> yes, the rebrand. True. So I guess well, and and if some of the uh, hints about what the Louisville team Ninja Basel team is going to be called, there may be some further revolt because. Uh, proof I, is pretty. I think pretty the management bad. Uh, um, said that was it. That's bad. I think they confirmed that. I reject it. Yeah, me too. Although it's still not worse than, you know, I know Sky Blue FC is a name that we're all used to now, but you can't tell me that. Well, that Proof Louisville was worse than a team that doesn't have its geographical 
um, anything geographical in there. Uh, yeah, I'm not a fan of Sky Blue. Sky Blue's name either, but proof is, is pretty bad. Um, one thing before we get to the questions and answers that we didn't mention, um, Erica Walsh is going to join Flacco Andonofsky's staff at least for the January camp as well as Philip Poole, and I know you wanted to comment on that. Well, that's Erica Walsh Dumbuck, to be yeah, clear. Yeah, sorry. Not sorry. Wambuck. A lot of confusion yeah, yeah. there. Dumbuck. <laughs> I am, am thrilled about this. I hope that it leads to a more permanent position. I think it's great that we're seeing, um, first of all, seeing, seeing coaches willing to leave the college scene to join um, U.S. soccer. That's not always the case. The college scene is very, um, what's the word, secure, or it can be, much yep. more so than, than other things. Also, I just I think she's a fantastic coach. She's had a lot of success. She won a national championship with Raquel Rodriguez. At, at Penn State, she's their perennial contenders. Um, their are current, you know, Penn Staters, Allie Krieger and Alyssa Nair off the top of my head, who are currently on that team and, and could potentially be Nair for sure at the Olympics. Um, so she's got some ties there. I, I think she's a fantastic coach. She was in the running for the final U.S. job. I would love to see this get her kind of her foot in the door and maybe down the road see her take a, a, a more of a role, whether that's maybe a youth team or, a, you know, eventual successor to Vlatko whenever he – his tenure ends because I, I just think she's she's a great coach and her former players have nothing but great things to say about her. And I think it says a lot about Vlatko that if Walsh Dombach was a finalist or was in the mix for the job and Laura Harvey was a finalist and he's now hiring them both, I think that says a lot about him. I don't think everybody would do that. Yeah, I agree. I think I think it, it goes both ways. I think that the fact that they're willing to work with someone who kind of took the job that they wanted says a lot. I think it says he respects them as as coaches. I think that it's just going to be great for the program on, on both sides. All right, let's get to some questions, and you can submit your questions throughout the week. Hashtag EQZPOD. That's hashtag EQZPOD. And uh, if we see them and they're good enough, we'll read them off to you. Um, Siobhan Mack, any insight into what happened with Laura Harvey in Utah and who her replacement will be? Was Utah the club who went dark with the press a couple of weeks ago? Any sign of a Rain FC coach? And with less than two weeks to go to the draft, any thoughts on who'll go in the first few picks? That's pretty much covering it all. Um, I think Harvey just wanted to be part of an international coaching staff, and that's why she left Utah. Um, I mean, she was clearly ready to, you know, she was coming back. They were ready to have her back. Um, you want to cover it? You want to con- comment on the draft? Because you probably know a little bit more than me. On the draft front, I know Dana Castellanos officially went to Spain, so that she's not she's off the board already. Yeah, she had, had kind of indicated before she, you know, even that'll happen that she wasn't going to go to NWSL. So I'm not surprised there. We're still waiting on on obviously the final. There's a lot of names missing from that I would expect to be there when the final draft. Yeah, draft well, they shouldn't. They around. should not list throw out that list in parts. Yeah, I think it's weird, but I think if everyone kind of declares, because I think Jesse Fleming's also probably going to go to Europe. Um, I think if everyone declares that I think is going to declare, I think you should watch um, Kaylee Real, Ali Watt, obviously Katerine Macario's out there, but again, I think she's one who may, she's in a weird spot. I think she may end up going to Europe. Um, but yeah, that's those kind of who I would keep an eye on. Uh, as far as Rain FC head coach, I have no insight whatsoever on that I would expect them to try to go big for whatever 
uh, big is on the coaching front. Uh, I mean, there were some rumors about maybe Jill Ellis being in the mix for that job or, you know, having maybe been offered the job, but I, I have no idea, but hopefully soon, because I would love to have that coach in place and present at the convention and the draft in a couple of weeks. And uh, I'll answer this about one team and one team only. Royals were not the team that went dark with the media a couple of weeks ago. Um, vacant head coaching positions says which open head coaching position is more attractive to outside hires. I'm going to say Utah. And I might, I think that'd be in the really? minority, but I'm going to say Utah. You don't think that the, the Leon name is going to. I need to know more about what their plans are at this but point. But just from the outside looking in. Uh, you mean like from a fan perspective or if I was a coach somewhere? I mean, yeah, if you're a coach, obviously you're, you're going to do your, your research. But right now, from where we sit with what we know. Yeah, I'd rather go. I, I think Utah's got a better roster. I think they've, I think they're more stable. I think they're going to be in Utah for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I, I, too much. I think there's too much uncertainty with the Leon group. Interesting. Now, I might turn out to be wrong because they might blow everything up and be the standard bearer. But yeah, I right now I'd take the Utah job. Huh. All right. So that means we would be coaching we would not be competing then for the same job. I'd be coaching Utah, you'd be coaching the Rain. We could I go mean, head to head. Yeah, probably. I, I assume I suppose so. I don't really want to live in Tacoma, but I don't really live in Utah either, so I was just, yeah, just gonna say first <laughs> I was gonna say, you see, Utah's better, but I've been in Utah. Not yet. No offense to anybody in Utah, but it's, I wouldn't want to live in Utah myself. Uh, I wouldn't want to coach against your soccer brain either. <laughs> I'd be at a disadvantage. All right, same account, TV streaming, broadcasting predictions for 2020 and beyond for NWS. I love the word beyond in here. Um, I haven't got a clue. I think streaming will be the same production, and it'll be a matter of where do you find it. TV, it's anybody's best guess. You I mean, don't sure, even have a guess. I would say surely that they're going to throw at least some games on ESPN again. I, I still was thinking that ESPN Plus was where things were headed, but here we are once again floating around in the ether. Nobody knows. And the schedule should be out in, I don't know, a month, month and a half. And you saw MLS just release their schedule and boom, national TV schedule. Right with it. It would really be nice to have this information available when the schedule actually does come out. Well, you are you are asking a lot. Not not from my perspective, just from a league that usually doesn't deliver that kind of thing. Yeah, but I mean, look, hopefully it's something because we really, uh, yeah, we need a good national TV deal, and you need to either be able to schedule games around it or have some flexibility to move games around. I don't know. All right, Rainmaster, we finally have Rain FC season tickets available. Yes. When will we have a coach and any rumblings about who? I think we covered that one. How do Rain handle their three goalkeeper conundrum? I don't think it's a conundrum. I think Casey Murphy's their goalkeeper. Yeah, I agree. I wouldn't be surprised to see Lydia Williams go find a, another team somewhere. Again, poor thing. Yeah, whether that's in or outside NWSL, I would assume outside. I, I kind of... Don't think there's a whole lot of starting jobs hanging out there, and she oh, needs wait. to start. Is there a person more that should be more annoyed that Sacramento didn't come in than Abby Smith? 
Yeah. Um, I also, uh, Betos, that is not a simple injury. We talk about ACLs. Betos tore her Achilles tendon. That is a really tough injury to come back from. I don't know anything about what she's up to, but I wouldn't be surprised if she's not ready for opening day. That happened in June, May? No, isn't it like at least a year usually recovery? I think it is. And and you really have to, you know, you got to push off and do a lot of leaping and and whatnot. That's pretty serious injury. I hope she makes it back. I'm a huge fan. And even then, I mean, fully healthy, I still think Casey Murphy's probably got the nod over Beto's. Oh, I don't think there's any question about Murphy is the Murphy is the goalkeeper. So it's just more who's going to be the backup, and, and they could just there are some backups out there for that they could grab um, to at least till Bentos is fully healthy. So I think Williams is gone. Yeah, I do too. And I'm a little I'm a Liddy Williams fan, a little inconsistent at times, but uh, you know I've I've met her a few times and I like her a lot. Um, yeah, it's too bad she won't probably be in the league, but. Who knows? Maybe she'll make her way back. And you never know. Sometimes weird things happen. And, and you know, I mean, who thought who saw Stephanie LeBay as the, you know, if I told you a year ago at this time that Steph LeBay would <laughs> be the NWSL championship winning goalkeeper, you would have thought I was crazy. Yeah. All right. Godwin O'Coley, does Sky Blue FC have exclusive rights to the NYC NWSL market? Do you feel that derby and regional rivalries are important in growth? Should New York and L.A. be two team markets? All right. This is a handful here. First of all, I'm going to go out on a limb and say there are not firm rules in place for who controls what market. But I think that if you are sky blue and you have been marketing yourself as New Jersey's team, then I don't see how you could possibly claim any rights to New York City. Even though I think they probably would ask for it if a team was maybe going to go into New York City. Yeah, I think that's fair. I also think that it is madness to think you can have two teams in the same market in a league of this size. Yeah, I mean, most teams aren't even maximizing their own potential, much less splitting that in half. Yeah, and in terms of – go ahead. I was going to kind of answer the next one. I love the idea of of derbies. I mean, I think we all look forward to Portland and and the rain, even though they're not technically in Seattle anymore. That rivalry still exists. I love those. I would like to see more of, of that. And, I'm, and it'd be organic, not those weird forced regional things they tried to do a couple years ago. Yeah, and like MLS has rivalry week when they try to get all the rivalries. Like They need to just happen on their own. I think they're great, but I, I don't think we're, it's a, we're in a position in any way, shape, or form where it can be forced. Yeah, because. I love rivalry week because they have actual rivalries. I mean, you've got it kind of all across the board there. Um, we don't we don't have that, and there there you know there's some that are kind of happening. Um, I think that you know like Portland and North Carolina I would probably consider a rivalry um, to an extent, but it just it's we're just not there yet. Last one from Lars Zanzibar's. How do you see NWSL allocation money being spent primarily? Races for non-allocated domestic players, signings from European leagues, Mexico, elsewhere. I think it's going to depend on the team. I think there's already teams that have offered some of their allocation money out to some pretty significant internationals, and I don't know the status of that. Um, I don't know. I think the raise thing is tough because you've got players who kind of like 
Uh, like the Royals signed Barnhart and who else did they? It was Barnhart and Taylor Lytle and somebody else. And I'm pretty sure Barnhart didn't get any allocation money. But, like, I don't know. It would be weird from a business perspective to go to a player and say, hey, you want some of this allocation money? I think the players maybe go to the teams and ask for some. But I, I don't know. I, I, and I don't think every team's even going to use it. Well, that would be a shame. Yeah, it would. I mean, if it's there, even if you're not at that time, you know, going to be courting any major internationals, give it to somebody. You have it. Use it. Yeah, but at the same time, if you give it to someone and then you want to spend it elsewhere, then... Well, you can't just yank it away. I mean, I think that's a risk you have to, to take. But, I mean, say, say you're Rachel Daly. Okay. I'm you Rachel go, Daly. you're Rachel Daly, right? Very blonde. You go and, cause she, there's no doubt about it, she could be going other places, most likely in, in England. Um, right. And she comes to you, you're, you're the general manager of, of Houston. She comes to you and says, hey, I've had these offers, I'd like more money. What's, what's your answer there? Yeah, I mean, probably yes. There's obviously a lot of factors, but yeah, probably yeah. I'd want to I mean, to I just think there, there are certain existing players out there who could probably make that argument that, hey, I could be going elsewhere, you know, reward, reward me for this loyalty. And I mean, it's kind of, you know, you're kind of playing hardball, but that's, that's the nature of sports, bud. Well, hopefully teams use it because if nobody uses it, then that's a step backward because they put it in for a reason. Got to use it. Yeah, well, surely ex- somebody will be. I don't expect every team to use the full three hundred thousand, but someone's better use this stuff. For sure, I can't imagine we go start the season without somebody making some sort of big signing. The bigger question is, will anybody tell us when it gets used? No, they don't tell us anything <laughs> about deals they except that they happen. Us. Even then, they don't always tell us. That's true. So, all right. Well, we'll be back next weekend for the Equalizer podcast. We'll be right smack up against the draft at that point. And, hey, where have you heard this before? Hopefully, we'll have some trades and some other news, but at least we know the expansion on news officially for 2020. There will be nine teams. All right, Chelsea, thanks a lot. Happy New Year. Looking forward to uh, doing this again with you often throughout the year 2020. For Chelsea Bush, I'm Dan Lawletta. You've been listening to episode 90 of the Equalizer podcast. For the ones who get going when the going gets tough and the ones who know we're tougher together. For the pathfinders breaking new ground, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as fast access to experts and 24-7 customer support. Because we know you have people depending on you, so you can always depend on us. Call, click or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.